So we're going to continue on our Revelation study. We're going to pick up on Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Like I said, it's only a few verses, but there's a lot of good stuff in it. And um, then there's some explanation that I hope to be able to tie in just to bring our, our understanding a little clearer. I'm going to start with reading the scripture, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his words. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, then the second death. And anyone's, anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we get to open up your word, that we get to explore the message you have given us, the uh, prophecy, the insight that we might understand what you have planned in the end times, that we might use that knowledge, that understanding to just to motivate us to live the life you've intended us to do, you desire us to do, to be able to use that knowledge to just grow in our understanding of you and our walk with you and our faith, and especially to have this as motivation for us to be uh, quick to share the gospel with those we come in contact with, because knowing what outcome would be for them uh, is just terrible, and we hope that we will be motivated to do our best to keep them from that faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we ended up with the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ. Um, Satan's released at that end of that, that thousand years, and uh, once again, he tries to deceive the nations. Some of the nations rebel against Jesus as their Lord and Savior, or their Lord, I should say their Lord and King, and um, Christ wins a victory when fire from heaven comes down to earth and devours all of those who were turned against him, all of those who rebelled against Christ. We pick up from the next verse, starting at verse 11, and this is the next scene um, we get. John describes what he's seeing, and it starts out, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place found for him. So the first thing we see is the throne. Of course, throne is a symbol of authority. It's a symbol of ruler. This throne is, is, uh, appears before John, and he sees a great white throne. He also describes it as a great. So it's a great throne, and there is no greater throne. There is no throne on earth in heaven that will ever be greater than this throne. This is the absolute authority of the entire creation that we see coming down. Matthew Henry describes this throne as a throne so great that all other thrones, former kings and princes shall have nothing in comparison to them. And you just think about that. I mean, Jesus' time, before his time, you had the Roman Empire, you had the Greeks, you, you had the... the um, um, Babylonian Empire, those were great empires. Those were what, what we would consider worldwide empires. They stretched most of the known world. 
those thrones in comparison to Jesus' throne is nothing. I mean, they're just, they're not even, they don't even count. They don't even register. That's the, the significance. That's the greatness between the earthly thrones and this great white throne. And then, of course, it's a white throne. And the white throne represents that purity, that the fact that there is no stain in this throne. When, when Jesus rules on this throne, he rules with absolute purity, with absolute injustice. There is no earthly thrones that ever have that. Every throne that's ever been on earth, there's always been some stain from man in, in their rule of selfishness, uh, discrimination, whatever you want to call it. Even today in our society and all that we have, there is no pure rulership. There is no rulership that is not marred by the sin, by the selfishness of man. But this throne is not. This throne is absolute purity in that the rule that comes from it has no mars, has no sin, has no discrimination. There is no greater authority, there's no greater rule, and there will be no greater judge with absolute justice from anywhere in creation compared to this throne. Then we talk, then it talks about him who sat on it. And of course, we notice that the him is a capital. That always reminds us that this is God that we're talking about. In this case, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the person sitting on the throne. Uh, we, we see that throughout scripture that Jesus is the one given the throne to rule the earth. That is his dominion because he came to earth to save us. That is what Christ, or that is what God gave him. God gave him the rulership of the earth. And then this, is a, this always fascinates me. It says, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And I mean, think about what does that mean? The earth and the heavens fled away. And there's a couple things we have here. Uh, just the fact that Jesus is being revealed in his full glory. And that full glory is enough. There's just the, the presence of him, just his face being exposed is enough that the heavens and the earth disintegrate. They, they just turn away. There's nothing left of them. So we go back, you think about, you know, talking about Jesus' face and looking at Jesus' face. Exodus 33:20, God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one can see my face and live. Now we have Jesus when he comes to earth. We know we see, man has seen Jesus and they've seen Jesus' face, but that has not seen Jesus and his glory in his face. They've seen the, the incarnation of Jesus, which was covered and it was not the full glory but when Jesus returns with his full glory just the presence of his face is going to be enough that that all of creation what God created will just vanish will just melt away Um, some some um, translations talk about it as rolling away like a scroll it just you know if you ever had a scroll of paper you spread it out you look at it you read it when you you let go, it kind of rolls up and rolls off the table. That's kind of the concept. That's what's going to happen with all the creation. It's just going to disappear on us because what was the point of creation? What did God make creation for? God made creation for man. God did all this universe. He made the planet. He put us on the planet. That was all for man. That's not going to be needed anymore. Now God is going to remake the universe in a incorruptible form so that old universe the old creation just disappears just just from his presence um, and then we also you know you think about where Moses met God or excuse me when Moses met God when he received the Ten Commandments just from being in the presence of God not even being face to face with God but in the presence of God 
when he came back to earth, uh, back down the mountain, when he came to give the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, they, they told him he has to cover his face with a veil because the presence of God was so great that it reflected, it radiated out of him just from him being in the presence of God. Now that God, that presence, we're going to see face to face, and that face is going to just wipe away the uh, universe that we know. So the earth and the heavens fled away. You know, we, I, I mentioned creation was made for man. Uh, there's not going to be a need for that creation anymore, and it's just going to disappear. Sorry, I think I said that. I just got mixed up on my notes. Moving on to verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were, dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in it. And they were all judged, each one according to his works. So this judgment that we see that's taking place here, this is a comprehensive judgment. All the dead are going to be judged. The dead from the sea, the dead over time, the dead from the earth. Anybody who's died, who does not know Christ, will be judged. It's comprehensive. Um, everyone's going to stand before, judge, before the judge. There's no escape in this judgment. There's nobody who's going to slip away, who's going to get missed. And then we see the books are open. So what books were opened? So for many years, and a lot of scholars still believe, they talk about the books that are open, that these books are a comprehensive log of all of mankind's deeds. From the beginning to the end time, everything that we do, every word we say, every thought we have is written down in these books. Um, these books record everything because God knows everything. God sees everything. He knows your thoughts, so these books can record them. But I want to propose something else, because in my study, I got a lot of um, people were writing about, you know, what are the books? What, well, we know God knows everything. We know God can reveal everything. We know God can tell us everything we ever did. But does it need to be written down? Because God's perfect. God's memory is perfect. And as I studied this out, I came across uh, a, a couple um, scholars that talk about, and then they bring in John 12, 47 and 50, and they thought, use this verse to maybe shift our, our thinking of what these books are. So John 12, 47 through 50. If any, anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge them person. I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge, and that's keep in mind, there is a judge, for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last days. For I did not speak it on my own, but the, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say the things that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So, whoever, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me. And you look at those words. There is a judge, the very words that I have spoken. And we can think about these books. These books might not be just logs of our actions. Although our actions will be brought up at the time, that could be just from pure knowledge of who God is. What about if those books that we're, we're judged on, or that the, the sinners are judged on, uh, is according to their works by the things which were written in the books? Well, what books? 
I propose that we might be able to consider that the 66 books of the Bible are the books we're talking about here. We are, the mankind is going to be judged based on God's word. And it's not going to be books outlining our actions. It's going to be our actions held to the books of the Bible. Did we live according to the Bible? Did we do what the Bible told us to do? Uh, God knows our actions. He, he doesn't need proof. He doesn't need to open it up in a book and say, see, on this date you did this. He's going to say, did you do what I told you to do? And when you go back to that, that John 12 passage, the very words I have spoken, they will be the judge. So I'm, I'm proposing, you know, again, revelation, a lot of it is interpretation. Um, but I just think that makes a lot of sense that the books that are open that we're going to be judged against are the 66 books of the Bible that we're going to be judged. Did we live according to those words? And of course, the most important book or the most important word in those books is did we accept Christ as our Savior? That will be our judge. God will give us, um, you know, he gave us the plan of salvation through the Bible. We have it all written out there. We have it all clearly displayed what we must do for eternal life. Did we do that? And that's, I think, the books that are going to be open. Um, did we do what God told us to do? Did we accept his son as our Lord and Savior? Uh, just when I read that, when I study it, it makes a lot of sense to me. It, it fits in in that, you know, do we really need log books? Does God really need books of our actions? He's, his word is alone. His word says... No, but he doesn't need the books. Yeah. So I think he's going to use the books of the Bible to show man, to show the people who he's going to judge according to what the book said to their life. Did they live according to the books? Did they live according to God's word? And did they do what he, he told them to do? Um, and then we also see there's going to be different levels. So we know there's a judgment. We know there's going to be... Um, Man's going to be judged at this point, but we also see that that you know th there's a point here where we have he's judging man on their works, and um, we see in Romans two, five and six, that it tells the unbelievers are storing up wrath against themselves. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Although the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that there's different levels in hell, there's different punishments, a worse punishment for worse offenders. That that uh, um, theme is kind of put in the Bible and that we can uh, extrapolate to that from that, that there is going to be different levels of punishment. Uh, we see this again in Luke 10 and 12, where Jesus says that the punishment for those who reject the gospel is going to be worse than the punishment of those from Sodom. Again, just indicating that we have the gospel. We know it's clear to us. And if we reject the gospel... Our punishment, we, you know, or I shouldn't say our because I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be held accountable for my sins, and we'll get to that in a minute. But mankind who know, who have the gospel, modern man today, the church age, they have the gospel. They have it clearly written out in the Bible what they must do to be saved. And we see throughout the scriptures that, that they will be held more accountable for their sins 
than those from Sodom and Gomorrah who didn't have the gospel, who didn't have that. So with that, there's, there's this uh, indication that there are levels in hell where the worst offenders will get worse punishment. And like I said, although the Bible doesn't specifically say that, we get that indication. And I think part of this judgment is going to be that. They're going to hold men accountable, mankind accountable for what they did do or what they didn't do, and then compare that to the scriptures, compare that to God's word, and where they stand will determine their punishment. And then this will be a final judgment. There is no appeal. There is no um, secondary chance. This judgment is final. This judgment takes place. There is no more. Um, and then we see the book of life is present. And the book of life, we know, records if a person has accepted Jesus as their, their personal Lord and Savior. Uh, this will be there, and I think there's, there's two parts of this. I think some of it, it's going to be there as a final, um, final evidence. Somebody who you know, thinks they were saved, who claims they were saved, after God judges them, after God reveals to them through the scriptures how they did not do, that's the final um, evidence that they were not saved. They did not accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And I think that's one of the reasons we see the books there. I think there's going to be people there that are going to claim they, they accepted or we're going to hope they accepted Jesus. They're going to think they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But I think, you know, they never did. And I think there's a lot of people in today's world who are fooled that way, who think they've made Jesus their Savior. But as Pastor says again and again, you know, if there's no evidence, you need to question. If, if there's no evidence in our life that Jesus has changed our lives, we have to question, did Jesus change our lives? And I think this is going to be, the book, the, the book of life is going to be there to show your name's not in the book. I, you know, Jesus has just proven them, showed them why they deserve eternal punishment. And if there's any question, there's any debate, there's any concerns, here's the book of life. Is your name in the book of life? Your name's not in the book of life. You haven't been saved. Because the Bible throughout says that anybody who puts their faith in Christ their name is written in the book of life. So moving on to verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, uh, I... I the seed gave up. I, I read that at the end of the last reading. The seed gave up. Um, death and Hades were delivered. Oh, maybe I skipped in my notes. Let me. Um... So the seed gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in it, and they were judged, each one according to their works. I didn't do a lot of writing on this other than that the sea that everybody who's ever died around the world will be resurrected for this judgment. I don't think I had more details than that. Sorry if I confused anybody. <laughs> Just my wife. I'm good. <laughs> so death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. 
and this is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now that the dead are been raised, they've been raised for eternity. There's no need for death. There will be no death after that. Uh, there's no need for Hades. Hades was the holding place. It was the temporary place. People who died went to Hades in waiting for this judgment. Now this judgment's come. There is no need for Hades anymore. All those not recorded in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. If the name's not in the book of life, there's only one other option, and that is the lake of fire. And as I just mentioned, we just see that they are raised to life. This is the resurrection of the unsaved, the, the people who don't know Christ. They will be living, they will have some form of a life, they will be alive in some form throughout eternity in the lake of fire. It's not just their souls that go on. There is a body resurrection here, and that body will suffer in the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. So this is, this is you know, grievous. This is a great deal. This is something that means a lot. And, and as I mentioned the last time I spoke, this should help us be motivated to tell as many people we can, wherever and whenever we can, the need for salvation, the need for Jesus to make them his Lord and Savior, because this is the only, the only other option. You either know Christ, you're saved through Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, or you spend eternity in the lake of fire. So now there's a few different views of judgment and the judgments that take place in the Bible. And again, because the Bible you need to interpret, there's different interpretations. Uh, I want to share first just what the three main views are when we talk about the judgments of Christ. So there's, there's one view that basically says there's one judgment. Both the believer and the non-believer are going to be judged here at this great white throne judgment. The believer, because their name's written in the book of life, and they have Christ's righteousness imputed on them, they will not receive punishment, but they'll receive our reward. The non-believer will receive just the punishment, which will be to be cast in the lake of fire, and based on their life, the way they lived, depend, will determine the degrees of punishment that they will receive, with the worst offenders receiving worse punishment. The second view of the judgments that take place is there's two judgments. One judgment for the believer, and this judgment is sometimes referred to as the Bema Seat Judgment, or the, seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and this is a time of examination and reward. Uh, most scholars think that this will happen, it'll take place in heaven shortly after the rapture, that the church will be raised, they will receive their crowns, their rewards, and then they'll receive their glorified body. And we get this a lot of, it comes from the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Uh, this, at this judgment, the Christians will receive their rewards, they'll receive their crowns, they'll receive the glorified body, and because of this, they consider that there's no need, and we'll get to this a little later, for them to then stand judgment again at the great white throne judgment. Then there's a second judgment. This second view has a second judgment, and this judgment is the judgment we're talking about tonight, the great white throne's judgment, and that's for the non-believers, and that's where they get judged. Um, this will take place after the millennial period. Satan's thrown into like a fire, and then... The Old Testament, the New Testament receivers don't get judged here because they've already been resurrected. They've already been 
rewarded with their um, glorified bodies. Then there's a third view of the judgments in, in the Bible, and this is where there's three different judgments. The first judgment is the judgment of the believers at the Bema Seat, kind of like I just talked to you there a few minutes ago. The second judgment is what they call the sheep and the goat judgment, and this comes from the Matthew 25, 31 through 36 passage, where it goes through the sheep and the goat. And I'm going to just hold this here. I'm going to get back to that a little later, um, but this is one of the judgments that some scholars think is part of the judgments of Christ. Uh, and this takes place after the tribulation period, prior to the millennial period. Uh, and then again, we'll discuss this a little more detail in a minute. And the purpose of this judgment, the sheep and the goat judgment, is to determine who, went, who that went through the, the tribulation time will enter the millennium kingdom and who will not. Uh, and then there's a third judgment, which is the great white throne judgment, which we're talking about now. And that judgment will be just for the, those who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Uh, the judgment of the unbelievers. And then their sentence is the everlasting punishment of the lake of fire. The fact that there's going to be a judgment for all, both the saved and the unsaved, is clearly taught through the scriptures. Uh, just a, a, a number of passages just a handful of passages, although there's more of them. You got Psalms 62, 12, Malachi 4, 1, Matthew 12, 36, Luke 3, 17, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. And I'll read 2 Corinthians 5, 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for the things we have done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the concept, the thought that everybody's going to be judged, both the saved and the unsaved, uh, is clearly taught throughout the Bible. But it's also clearly taught that the, in the Bible that the believer will not stand judgment for their sins. Christ has already paid for those, those sins. Although we, we still get judged on the things we've done, and I'll get to that in a minute, we're not going to be judged for our sins. That has already been taken from us when Christ died on the cross. So after my own study, when I look at this and going through those different interpretations, those different judgments, how they all fit, I, I tend to, I, I believe that I lean to um, kind of along that second line, that two judgments. And uh, I believe this because, you know, the church, the church age believers, they'll be judged at the Bema Seat. We see that clearly. And they receive their... their um, New bodies, they're incorruptible bodies, they're glorified bodies. And when Christ returns at the second coming, we come with him. We are in our new bodies, we are in our, our um, glorified bodies, we return with Christ, we reign with Christ through the millennial period. And when we tie this back that the dead are raised, we are already alive and we're alive in our glorified bodies. Well, we wouldn't receive our glorified bodies without some sort of judgment to determine what glorified body we get, what our rewards are, what our blessings have been. And then, um, so I, I think, I, I tend to, to follow the line that we don't, that we will not be judged at the great white throne judgment. But I also believe that the tribulation saints um, who are martyred during the tribulation will not be part of that because again, they will receive the glorified body 
with Christ's return, and they will reign with him over the thousand-year millennial period. Uh, Those who died without Christ as their Savior, the names who are not written in the book of life, they will be judged at that great white throne judgment. But I also think at this point, they've already been sealed. Their fate has already been sealed because they've already rejected Christ. So this judgment is not going to determine if they've accepted Christ or not as much as what their punishment is going to be, what they're, they're judged for their actions. Uh, and, and it determines the severity of their punishment. I also believe uh, people living in the millennial time will be judged at the great white throne judgment. So if you remember, there will be people who enter the millennium in their normal human bodies. We as the saints who've died and gone to heaven have been raptured with Christ. The tribulation saints who have been martyred during the tribulation, we've received our glorified body. We come back during the millennial period and we reign with Christ in our glorified body. But there will be people on earth who have not died, who have lived through the tribulation time, and they will enter the tribulation, excuse me, the the millennial period. They will enter the millennial period in their normal human bodies, the bodies we have today. And, you know, when you read the Bible, it talks about how these people will live long lives. They will enjoy the world the way God intended it to be with Satan bound, locked up with long life and health and peace and, and the animals in peace with man, with the earth in peace with the earth, with man in peace with man. And that during that thousand year period, those people will marry, will get will we'll have children, and over that thousand-year period, that people, the people who have their non-glorified bodies who live through the tribulation time, will once again fill the earth the way God intended it to be. And we see that in the scriptures where it talks at the end of the thousand-year period, the mankind has filled the earth. Those people need to be judged. And we also saw from last week's scripture that some of those people side with Satan. Satan deceives them, deceives the nations, and they go against God. And I think this part of this judgment is going to be those people will also be judged because they need to be judged. They need to be judged whether they followed God, God's way, followed Jesus as their Lord and King, or they rejected Jesus as their Lord and King. Jesus is going to be the Lord and King of the earth. That doesn't mean everybody on earth is going to accept him as their Lord. So those people, I think, will also be judged at this uh, great white throne judgment. There's no question that the non-believers will be judged at the great white throne judgment when you go through the Bible. Um, it's just a matter of the church age. And that's, that's where I tend to feel. This is where I think, in my interpretation of the scripture, that uh, we will not be part of that judgment. But I believe we're going to be there. We're going to be present. We're going to see what's going on. And I think that's part of that should be motivation for us because we're going to see those people that we came in contact with that we could have shared the gospel and we didn't. We're going to see them being judged. We're going to be there and see what's going on. And I just think that's going to be a burden on our hearts to, to know that we had an opportunity and we missed that. And we're going to see them getting judged and cast into the lake of fire. I think that's motivation for us to, to be sensitive to what's going on around us and, and be a witness to whoever we can. Uh, so there, there's no question about the, the non. Um, 
why I don't believe we're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. So when you break out the scriptures and you look at it, the great white throne judgment, first we see that the dead are raised and judged. As I mentioned earlier, we've already been raised. We were part of the first resurrection um, and we've received our glorified bodies. Uh, so it's my understanding that because of that, we're not going to be raised and judged because we've already been raised. We've already received our glorified body. And that comes from Revelation 20, 4 through 6, when Christ returns. Um, since we have the glorified bodies, we've already been deemed righteous, uh, and we will, we've already gone through a judgment. Um, however, like I said, this is my understanding. This is my reading and interpretation of the scriptures. I don't claim to know it all and be correct, but this is just how I read it. Um, so, you know, we each have to make our own decision. I base mine on, on how I read the scriptures and my best interpretation. The third one, the third judgment that I mentioned that I talked about earlier is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And I wanted to kind of pull that aside some because there's a lot of different thoughts, different um, interpretations of the sheep and the goats uh, because it's not in the Revelation scripture. It's, it's a, a um, parable that Jesus taught. But again, we know parables have a, a spiritual message in there. And what is the spiritual message? And it is, some people take it as an interpretation. So I just wanted to explore that a little bit deeper. You know, does it happen prior to the millennial period? Is it part of the great white throne? And, you know, um, even though it's one of my favorite passages, I still don't know, honestly, where it fits in the millennial because it's kind of in its separate category. But I wanted to read through that. I want to just explore that a few minutes with you guys tonight. And that's found in Matthew 25. I'm going to read 31 through 34. And then I'm going to skip and just read 41 and 46. And the stuff I'm skipping, you're welcome to read on your own. It's not key to the passage. It's not key to what's being said here. It's just a little more details. But for time, I want to skip them. So Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king, of, then the king will say to those on his right hand, come you, come you, my blessed of my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Skip over to 41. Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then skip down to 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So some, some Bible scholars take this as a third judgment that's going to happen and, and there's some discrepancy or dispute about does it happen prior to the millennial period or at the end of the millennial period. But when I look at this, I just don't see how it fits in the same as the Great White Throne or the Bema Sea Judgment. And I could be, you know, interpreting it wrong, but I think this might be separate from a judgment. This might not be part of the judgments. And I get that from when I read the scriptures. So it talks about the Son of Man comes into his glory. 
And most people look at that and see this is Jesus in his second coming because he comes in his glory. Uh, but then we also see at the white throne judgment that he's going to be sitting in judgment in glory. So this could be, again, fit both the premillennial period or the end of the millennial period when he judges. Uh, then we also see the goats are cast into the lake of fire. Those who don't know him, those who didn't follow his word, are cast into the lake of fire. Well, that leads me to think this is the great white throne judgment because that's where we see people being cast into the lake of fire. The other judgments, isn't, they, they, they're not put into the lake of fire until that last great white throne judgment. Uh, nevertheless, the main reason for the separation, you know, it, it's, it's this, when you look at the scripture, when you look at what he's doing, he's separating them. Well, why is he separating them? And that goes into some of the verses we, we skipped over, but he separates them by what they did or didn't do. And I, I think that that's always part that I've loved is the thought that, you know, God separates us by our actions, by how we reacted. Now, we know salvation doesn't come through our actions, that our, we, we are not saved by our works. We're saved by our faith. But we also know from the Bible that our faith moves us to actions, that our actions are proof of our faith in that when we know Christ, we look for, we seek to serve him. And those who don't know Christ, they don't look, they don't seek to serve him. They, they're not concerned. So when we look at this separation of the sheep and the goats, they're not being separated because their faith. They're being separated because of their actions. So I look at that and I say, well, is this a judgment based on their name being written in the book of life? Or is this just a sorting of the people? Is this just that final separation where God is moving those who followed him with those who, who didn't? If you read the passage carefully, you don't see that this is so much as a judgment as a separation. Uh, the sheep are sheep. God addresses them as sheep. They've proven themselves to be sheep. The goats are goats. They're known to be goats because of their action, and he's just separating them. Uh, so, you know, and knowing, again, that salvation is not by works, I, I, I sometimes think that this is not so much a judgment as just God describing that after the judgment, after the separation has been made, this is how God's going. He's going to take his people and reward them. He's going to take those who rejected him and they enter eternal punishment. Um, so I look at this and I say sometimes, you know, is this a judgment that fits in line with the Bema Seat judgment and the great white throne judgment, or is this just the act of how he's sorting them? And then we see, uh, we also get, if we look at this passage, there's, there's some symmetry in the Ezekiel 11 passage where it's talking to how God separates the Jewish nation. And this also, we can also look at the sheep and the goats. He was talking to a Jewish um, a Jewish congregation or a group of Jewish people there. This could be just the way God separates the Jewish nation. Now we know throughout scripture that God has promised to take a remnant out of the Israelite people, out of Jacob's line and, and bring them into his kingdom purely because he promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to do so, not because they deserve it. And that's what we call the remnant. That's this people that God has preserved, that has chosen for him. Uh, 
how that all fits in, you know, some say that is the 4,400 in Revelation. But again, you have to kind of interpret Scripture in the way you want to figure out, is that the 44, or is God just going to save some of Israel just because he promised that? So just my understanding, my reading of the Scripture, I think that the sheep and the goat might not be a judgment the way the white, great white throne or the bema seat judgment is. So that's all we have for the scripture. I'm a little early. I think I got to start it a little early. Um, I actually thought it was going to take up more time. Any questions, comments, thoughts? God's not in time. Time is in. I mean, when, when this judgment takes. <laughs> see, so, so when, when, when you see, when you look, so bring it back to, to Genesis. Before God created, God existed. He existed outside of time. He existed outside of matter. From nothing, he created everything. That is not only the physical universe, but it's also time. He created time when he created the universe and set time in motion. When he returns, heaven and earth flees away. Heaven and earth is gone. With that, time is also no longer needed because now we're outside of time. And time is irrelevant. Besides the fact we're talking about a God who in a moment of time, a moment of our time, through his spoken word, created a universe that feels beyond our comprehension, and he is present in every part of that universe all the time. There's, you know, the farthest star, when scientists look and take that telescope and try to find the farthest star, God says he is in, he is there. That star is still inside his realm of where he exists. So we're, we're not going to be in time anymore. When heaven and earth fleet away, time is part of that because time is part of his creation. I think you're right that the Bemis judgment is totally different, mm-hmm. even because of what 1 Corinthians talks about. You know, we're, we're there, wood, hay, and stubble. Are, we'll be judged according to our works as a Christian, not works to be a Christian. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, you know, when you, you look at that and you hear, as Christians, we will receive crowns, um, and those crowns are based on what we did. Well, those crowns aren't based on, you know, we, we, we're saved because of Jesus, because of faith in Jesus, but our rewards are based on what we did. And you can look at that two ways. When you did something that furthers the gospel, that furthers God's kingdom, you are receiving a reward. When you miss an opportunity, when you don't do something that would further the kingdom, that would bring somebody to Christ, you are missing out on that reward. It's not like that reward's taken from you or you're punished for not doing it, but you don't receive something you could have received. And, you know, the greatest reward we're going to have is to be able to take those crowns 
that we receive and throw them at Jesus' feet. So, I mean, you know, the, the more work you do to further the gospel, the more times you share, the more people who accept Christ because of your actions, the more crowns you have to throw at Jesus' feet to worship him. And, I, you know, that just, I, I really think, yeah, the Bema Seat, that rewards, that's going to be separate for us as, as born-again believers. Any other questions or comments? We are, we are blessed. Yeah, we are so blessed to be here. So many churches around the world, around the United States, around Central Florida, you don't hear God's word. You don't hear the whole of scripture. You'll hear a part of it here or part of it there, but you don't hear the whole of scriptures. And I think that's... appreciate it. I do. I appreciate you guys. This is such a, such a family, such a, a great blessing to be here. I'll close this with prayer and then just a few quick announcements.